what typically happens is when technology or innovation happens, those at the top of the socioeconomic ladder benefit from it. And, and it sometimes trickles down, sometimes it doesn't. And that can drive disparities. I'll give you an example of bringing a health equity framework in the real world. So in our maternal health effort to, to reach rural women, we have a maternity app. But when I look at who we're reaching, we're still not reaching into rural areas. So that lets me know I can use this tool, but what do I need to add? What is the mitigation so that we make sure that we're addressing health equity? Our mission for Meeting the Minds is to rewire healthcare leadership to be able to stay ahead of the constant change that's happening in healthcare technology, policy, economics, and other issues. For today's topic, what we're discussing is healthcare equity. So I want to introduce Dr. Chriselle Nash and Dr. Carolyn Green. So the, the reason that we have these two individuals is that, that they are confronting some extremely difficult questions uh, with regards to health equity. To, to help with that, we're, we're, we're speaking with them like, like well, the, their, their background is in the state of Arkansas specifically, and Arkansas ranks 46th in the nation for life expectancy. Nearly 40% of Arkansas uh, report symptoms of anxiety and or depressive disorder compared to a national average near 32%. And 41% of Arkansas's population is in rural areas uh, uh, versus about 14% nationally, so about three times the national average. So there are so many tough disparities that Dr. Nash and Dr. Green are working on. To kick it off, uh, Dr. Carolyn Green is our co-host today. She has leadership roles in translational research at University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, where she's also a clinical psychologist. Also, she served she serves as the national manager for the Department of uh, Veterans Affairs Digital and Mental Health Program, which serves 22 million veterans. Uh, also, and uh, finally, she, she sits on Wobot Health's uh, Diversity Advisory Board. So, Dr. Green, what are you hoping that people are able to get out of today's session? Hey, Chris. So, I am so thrilled to be here with Dr. Nash, even though we uh, work down the street, we don't run into each other at all. And I'm hoping that people can understand the intersectionality and how rural America has the same challenges, some of the same challenges as urban America. We have you know, the diversity and poverty and all that. And then on top of it, the rurality. And I think that um, one of the reasons why Arkansas doesn't really get as much attention as maybe it needs to considering those disparities is because I think people don't necessarily understand rurality. So that's the main takeaway I'm hoping people get. That's fantastic. And, and, and thank you for bringing up the, the term intersectionality. Thank you for bringing up the, the <laughs> rural the rural aspect as well, because like that, that really just means that these impacts like various disparities that people might have, veteran status, rural status, et cetera, those compound. So I, I love that you, that, that you brought that up. Appreciate that. And now our guest, Dr. Chriselle Nash, currently she works as, uh, at Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield as the Medical Director for Health Equity and Public Programs. She serves in faculty at UAMS's Department of Health Policy and Management, so same university that they're working right down the street, uh, where she is also the co-director of the Racial and Ethnic Health Disparities Service Learning Course. So you can see that Dr. Nash has devoted her career to helping to, to developing health equity initiatives and also, and that's a big emphasis, 
on this call is putting them into action. One big thing that we we want you to walk away with is a, a feeling and understanding of, of how to, to, to enact the things that we are talking about. Take it out of that conceptual level and put it at the practical level. So Dr. Nash, we live in a health system. We live with a health system and an insurance system that's built on and honestly fraught with disparities. Can you just give us your, your story on why you've taken this challenge of addressing health equity issues and what it's looked like getting to where you are today? Uh, sure, sure. First, let me say thank you um, for allowing me to be here with you today. I'm really excited about this discussion. It always you know, invigorates me um, to talk to people about, about my passion, about our passion and why we're here today. Um, Dr. Green, thank you for your first um, statements because I just realized that I am walking intersectionality. <laughs> this is why I do what I do. I was born in, in rural Arkansas, a preemie baby, three pounds, two ounces. My parents and my family have this story of me growing up being very small and my mother, a teenage mom, being afraid of me in poverty. Yeah. So walking through my personal life and my professional life, this thread has always been health equity, whether I was in medical school and you're, well, coming through public schools first, having a public school education, and then being able to compete on a national level and go to go to school, go to medical school, then end up there and be seeing patients and, and seeing the differences in quality, seeing the differences in access, and ultimately throughout my academic career, getting further upstream. And now, um, after practicing medicine for 15 years at UAMS, I think I left uh, before you uh, yes. came to the area, but after that, um, coming to the health insurer space, the health plan space, and being able to bring that health equity framework and understanding. So kind of my, my life and my professional development really has been all about this. And it's, it's, it's my passion. It's really in my DNA. That, 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 that's excellent to hear about how it is in your DNA too. Thank, thank you for, for, for digging deep and making that connection between how you grew up and uh, the, the, the multiple intersectionalities that, that you addressed and how that's ultimately translated into your career today, which we're going to dig a little bit deeper on in a second with our questions. So to start this off, to, to start off our thinking, let's get to let's let's think about health equity more broadly because I gave a little bit of a definition, but I'd really like to understand uh, uh, Dr. Nash uh, with your beyond the work at uh, Arkansas Blue Cross Blue Shield, how should healthcare leaders be focusing on health equity? like what's what's the mental model or framework for for when health equity should start entering that strategic conversation? You know that is that is an excellent question. And my first reaction is that it should be in every conversation in the health care and health space. Um, let me say that the way I have begun this is first starting like you did with the definition. We have to understand what it is. Um, now in the public space, we hear lots of words, right? We hear diversity, equity, and inclusion. We hear health equity. We hear social determinants of health and all those different things. They're interconnected, but what do they mean? What do they mean? And then to your point, what do they mean for action on a day-to-day -day basis? We can stay in the theory for a long time, but 
it starts with the definition and understanding what that is. And then in my framework, as I told you from my career, I've kind of learned if I'm bringing a health equity framework to population health management into the enterprise, that means that I am looking in a framework from end to end. On one end, it is quality healthcare, right? Who's getting quality healthcare? But when I step back further, it's who has access to health care? That gets you into the insurance space, right? So there are issues around there. Then I say, well, can we get back further upstream? Well, before you have insurance, you live in a social environment, right? You're in a social environment and, and a, a physical environment that supports healthy behaviors or it doesn't, right? And that environment has resources or it doesn't have resources. So I'm going to get further upstream. What determines what those resources are and where they are? They're different in different communities. They're different in Northwest Arkansas. They're different in the Delta. And we have to understand all that. And once we determine, um, uh, well, once we reach, to, reach all the way upstream to addressing resources and directing resources to where they need to go, that's when you're addressing health equity. So that's kind of my big picture framework that is really disease agnostic because I think there are certain commonalities, but differences in, in different areas and in different populations. So I would say define it, understand the framework, but then if I blow it up that big, then you're wondering, well, what the heck do we do, right? It, it, it's so big, right? Well, well that's I, what I'm about oh. to interrupt and ask you yeah. that exact question. Tell, could you tell us about some of the specific programs um, that you're working on? Because if health equity touches everything, what is the scope of your team? Exactly, exactly. So when, I, when health equity is that big, you have to depend on partnership. A health plan, a health system can't do everything. We have to determine what our role is. But one thing that I want to add in there is look at our policies, our processes, and our programs to ensure that we are not driving disparities. So that's another important critical point. We have to be a partner at the table, tables that we probably aren't used to being at as a part of health, but also look internally. And so that's what part of what we're doing at Arkansas Blue Cross Blue Shield. This is a journey. It's not a destination and we're beginning our journey. So when you ask, what does my program do? Um, my first answer is it's not a program. We can't programize this. It is really a framework and an initiative that um, I use a diffusion model. I try right. to touch every single <laughs> area of the enterprise in terms of who we are, what we do and how we do it. And a part of that always has to be intentionality and moving to action. And one of those areas, as you know, everybody's been living through the pandemic for the last three years, right? And that heightened awareness and gave us an opportunity to actually name and explain um, health equity inside and outside my organization and get traction to start moving around issues such as maternal health, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion in our workforce, uh, marketing and all those different things. So I would say that my program is one of an initiative as its diffusion in touching communities and partnerships, in touching patients, in touching internally, um, 
and not to try to silo health equity into its separate area, because that again is gonna make it unsuccessful and probably unsustainable, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that's a huge point. And uh, it, particularly like the, the framework, start, like starting with that framework where we're focusing all the way down on like the quality that, that people are receiving on a one-to-one level, one -one level, then the access, then the uh, community resources that, uh, that, that they have. You can't do that completely as, as just completely a separate issue. That's not something that's bolted on um, after everything else comes through. So I, I like the way that you framed it up in terms of having these initiatives and thinking permeate through everything that the health system is uh, or, or uh, provider payer providers doing. But the flip side of that and the challenges of that is that we typically think in very much silos, right? So that's a challenge on a on a day to day basis. So that 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 day to day challenge, uh, like the like like breaking down silos and and all the conversations that that I've had has just been one of the hardest things to do. How do we reach out to the to the other sides of the organization? Uh, how do we get uh, different different folks to work with each other? This is a, a like big opportunity with, with with this being a newer program. It, it, could, could you talk about some of the some of the things that you and your team do to be able to to bring other leaders into the fold and coalesce around new thinking and new issues like this? Sure, sure. Um, I think that my work focuses in really three big buckets. One, it's education, both internal and external, with an intentionality for health equity. One of the things you will hear me say quite often is that equity is a part of quality. Equity is quality. We can't say that we are providing quality care or have a quality health care system if it varies by something as subjective as your skin color, your sexual orientation, even urban versus rural status you know, in this country. I believe that equity is a part of quality. So part of that education and socialization of that both internally and externally. I think data is critical, as we all know. Um, even, you know, I come from a public health space. And so when I came over to a health plan, I was salivating about claims data, you know, and how we can look at it, race, racial and ethnic health disparities. And then figure out, or and other health disparities, but figure out we don't have good race data in, yeah, in, in this space. So then how do you quantify and identify disparities along any of those factors, urban versus rural status, gender, um, and then inform yourself and devise an intervention and test for ROI, right? The data is critical. So I'm working with data teams constantly to get to that level, but also to make sure that in our data and in our process that we are not baking in bias. So it's education, it's data, but it's to your point of moving to action. How do we move this information, move what we're doing to action? Action in terms of hearing from and partnering with local communities, because we can't do it all. A health plan or a health system can't do it all in getting all the way upstream that I talked about. You know, so it's about partnering and I am boots on the ground, literally in the Delta in Northwest Arkansas, building those relationships, finding people who have been in this space, doing the work and figuring out how we are value added together as opposed to in separate silos. The, the points you bring up actually tightly relate with a question that we got from uh, Shelby Fiegel, uh, which asks about 
like like you, you were talking about the the data and and really understanding uh like slicing and dicing by these uh, demographic characteristics what kind of care what's the quality and level of access across like across these characteristics um Shelby's question was what are some strategies and programs that that you've engaged uh with or, or heard successfully bringing leaders from multiple sectors and that's where I was queuing in is like you were talking about like, like internal stakeholders and external stakeholders where uh, what is like what where's where are some areas that you've brought, that you've brought in people from multiple sectors and uh, she also asked about uh, rural communities yes yes okay so I will say that our as a company as an enterprise, our learnings were great during the pandemic, during the crisis. Uh, our CEO, Curtis Burnett, asked me, uh, Dr. Nash, what can we do to make sure that communities are reached in, in Arkansas during this, this crisis? And of course, you know, of course I had an answer. We've been thinking about this for a long time, and I am already a part of a group of external stakeholders from minority physicians to um, um, faith-based leaders to um, political leaders all across the Delta. So we brought all those people together and we actually um, leaned into um, um, vaccinating and educating and bringing resources to local communities, even down to uh, Black Mayors Association in those areas. So bringing stakeholders together, but also bringing the resources, whether those resources are information, whether those resources are connections to where immunizations are or what all those things uh, were happening real time, boots on the ground. And so that was a real time example that I can bring to other efforts that I'm doing now. And we're a part of, we don't have to drive everything. I think the health plans and healthcare arena can be at the table. There are other efforts going on in the state um, called a health equity collaborative that brings all the different stakeholders together, community development education, transportation, and technology around the table for collective action. So the opportunity is there. And I think different areas of the country are in different um, um, stages. Uh, we are early, um, but this state, as you told earlier, is critical. And I think this opportunity exists to see, to plant some seeds for the future. So in the next 10 years, we're not sitting in the same place, having the same discussion. When I meet with some people in Arkansas and they say that they're interested in health equity, I look at them and I look at all the framed pictures on their walls and I have a hard time believing that it's more than just talk. So what kind of pushback have you had and how, how do you sniff it out whether someone's a real partner or not? <laughs> that is an excellent question. Um, that I navigate on a day-to-day -day basis. I am very intentional uh, in my interactions. And not only do I listen to people's words, but I watch what they do. Um, okay, so that, that's one that kind of lets me, lets me know what's going on. But it is, I have gotten some pushback, um, but I need to hear that pushback so that we can respond and understand how to, 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 to navigate. For example, I wrote an op-ed uh, in the local newspaper about maternal health hmm. and got a really nasty trope back um, as I talked about maternal health in lay terms, but along that trajectory of, of, of the framework that I talked about. 
but the trope came back that was very um, misogynistic and very, very, very nasty about women and about Black women. Um, so it's out there and I need to know it's out there. So what do I do? I counter that with messages all the time, all the time, it very in, an, in a very intentional way. But also I'm doing the hard work underneath to um, build the, to, to plant the seeds and to find my allies around the company and then externally, because those are the people that are going to walk the walk. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, it does. Thank you. Over the long term. I'm curious. So, so we, we, we heard kind of that, that what was coming back in from the public and that is absolutely honestly disgusting that people would like, they would take the time of well, that they think that in the first place and they take the time of their other day to out themselves as a-holes. Uh, can't say that on the webinar, but uh, what I, one thing I was wondering uh, uh, like about pushback in, in terms of uh, like pushback from leadership and things like that. I, I'm just cu curious too about some of the some, some of the barriers that you might have encountered in, in those efforts. All right. So uh, when I think about some of the barriers, I made reference to the silos or silo thinking sometimes. So I call myself a dot connector. I'm a dot connector externally and internally. But some of the other barriers, I think, are at least from a business space. Now, you have to remember, I'm a healthcare provider that's coming to the business space, right? Um, but what's the ROI on this effort? Okay. And you better have an ROI in 12 to 18 months. All right. These types of issues take a lot of time and a lot of boots on the ground. Um, and the ROI efforts. <laughs> Are, are coming, uh, but are not proven there yet. And that takes longer time. Um, I will say some of the other challenges are people assume that health equity and what we're doing is sort of a PR thing, mm. which it is not, or it's a fad that's going to go away. So I'm just going to lay low and wait and see. Well, that is, that is not true. Um, and in this world, in this context, um, health equity really is a strong business strategy. That's what I'm talking about in uh, the business side of the space. Um, there is an economic argument to be made through cost and utilization, through lost productivity to employers um, and, and all of that. So I try to navigate those barriers by understanding what they are and, and then countering, if that makes sense. So the, the the point that you brought up about uh, having to discuss ROI utilization and th things like that among, among these populations, that is that that's one of those really difficult conversations because we want people to focus on the underserved and, and things like that because it's the right thing to do, but we have to come up with these various justifications and things like that from that business perspective. Uh, so I, I, th that you brought up, a, I, I think, a very huge point uh, in, in terms of how we have to communicate about these issues and, and what we have to bring to the table other than the fact that we want to make sure we're, we're giving people access. Right, right. And there are um, there are studies, and a lot of the, it has come through the TRI at UMS, helping us to determine, you know, what is effective in reaching communities. For example, we know community health workers are very important because they're community experts, right? 
in local communities, whether we're talking about the Marshallese community in Northwest Arkansas or African-American community or Asian community in the state of Arkansas, um, lay health workers as a part of health teams can be critical and has been shown to impact cost and utilization, has been shown to impact quality. So the information is out there. We just have to counter it and bring it to the people who don't really know or understand. So one thing that come, comes up to, and, and this is uh, uh, Danielle White asked a, a question that made me think about this, which is um, there, there's an operational aspect of it, like the dot connecting that, that you're referring to. That's a lot of effort. That's a lot of interpart uh, departmental relationships and things like that. Uh, and, and her question was around the staff and resources department needed to do that. Can you give us kind of a, a lay of the land on, on the operational part of, of making these kinds of health equity uh, dot connecting issues happen? So again, my framework has been not to create another silo, but I need to grow a whole bunch of more dot connectors. And those dot connectors are in a lot of different places, like in our inside Arkansas Blue Cross Blue Shield and our employee uh, resource groups, or our, our we call our, diver our diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, Inblusion. So in Inblusion, we have ERGs. We have an African-American ERG. Now we have a women's ERG and an LGBTQ plus ERG, which I lead. So bringing their experience, our workforce experience, this is marketing 101. Who are you trying to reach? Your workforce has to look like, has to inform who you're trying to reach. So that's a dot to connect. There's a dot to connect with case managers. We talked about, or uh, well, we, we hopefully will talk about maternal mortality and maternal health. Well, in the health plan, we have case managers who are working with expectant mothers. Do they understand health equity and, and cultural humility and what they need to do? So that's another dot. So dot connectors are happening all over the place, including with our large employer clients, because they're asking mm. questions. Everybody's asking. So what are you doing about health equity and diversity, equity, and inclusion? And the other dot I'll connect that we all need to be aware of as healthcare, there are a lot of different agencies, state, federal, and otherwise, and accrediting, who are asking the same questions. So this is, this is the right thing to do. This is a business imperative to do in terms of the diversity, the growing diversity of our world and of our state, but also from a regulatory point of view. So I try to pull all those levers, <laughs> depending on who I'm talking to. Okay. I'm I'm going to jump in and ask a question, uh, go back to that workforce development issue, because that's actually a space where I do a lot of work. Um, you know, I'm, I sort of co-direct one of these fellowship programs and, you know, have some different, um, you know, some different infrastructure to try to have a, a more diverse workforce of uh, scientific researchers is the area that I'm really in. And it, it it does take a lot more work to reach to to reach to, to recruit for more diverse populations, and you know, I mean, I hear other people saying, "Well, we just can't find any good talent," and it's because obviously they haven't looked far enough. But I think there are yeah, but there is some reality to um, to age wise. We it's hard to get sort of senior people that are diverse to really lead these efforts. And I'm just wondering, like, how long have you guys been at it? Do you have the same problem that, that I'm running into of the senior cohort just not necessarily being diverse enough to really help the junior cohort come up? 
Um, yes, because that's history. That's the history of this state. That's kind of the history of this nation. But mentorship is critical. Um, mentorship, not only that I do personally, wherever I am, internal to the organization and external, but also growing those mentors. And I call them, I, I'm identifying health equity champions all across the company that can serve and help to, to develop leadership. Because for me, uh, the goal, uh, success for me, that is if I get hurt tomorrow, somebody else can pick this up and take this on and they're ready for it. So mentorship is very is very important. And we have that going on at Arkansas Blue Cross Blue Shield also with an infusion of health equity. And like I said, we're still early in this process. I don't want to make it sound like we got it all figured out. Right? <laughs> mm -hmm. We're on this journey. We're on this journey just like everybody else. But I am so excited and I am so glad to be working in an organization that not only is giving me space to work in my passion, but I really think um, ha has a has a passion uh, for the long term because I've seen bits and pieces of it all over the place. Now it's time to coalesce it for us to move forward into the future. You know, uh, we, so we were talking a little bit earlier about data and how it's important to be able to uh, look at these subgroups, address intersectionality by looking at at, at, at how the population how the population fits in. And it, it got me what I, I, I want to ask this question to, to both of y'all, actually. Uh, but this is this is around um, the role that technology might play in helping with health equity issues. I'm curious if you see tech, like, like if, if there's any kind of if, if there's any kind of technology that, that you're focused on to help uh, like bring more access, address some of those things in, in the framework that you addressed, or if you see technology as more of a risk in, in certain ways, if not used correctly. I'll uh, jump in with an answer because this is a question that keeps me up at night, literally. Um, for most of my career, I worked at Department of Veterans Affairs and developing digital mental health programs. And I always thought what we were doing was expanding access to care for underserved populations and making sure that they can have evidence-based mental health treatment just as much as, you know, as, as anyone else across the country. And I think all of that is true, but <laughs> moving to Arkansas, I'm also seeing that, that the digital divide is more real than I recognize and that some of these, um, some of the mobile apps and online programs and track and wearables, you know, that they can really benefit healthy people who are engaged in their health. And there hasn't been as much research on how effective they are with people who are kind of resistant to technology and resistant to their health and not really, you know, so there's like a, dig a digital literacy, you know, that, that some people just don't have of knowing how to really leverage those technologies. And, and I do, I do fear that, you know, that we may be contributing to, um, to more disparities, but we just got to, we got to figure out how to do it. And I, I won't go too rogue on this, but I will I'm just planting a seed with Rochelle because I'm going to ask her about it later offline. But I think that like the, um, the community health workers could be a really good ally in this. If we could train community health workers on how to do Zoom, how to do um, you know online tracking for blood pressure, all of those different kinds of things, and have them be the, the ambassadors for technology out to rural areas, I think that might help us close the gap. Ditto, ditto, ditto. <laughs> um, first, let me say that um, 
I'm old school now. So when I trained we were <laughs> in physical medicine, I was doing, you know, a physical exam, actually touching a patient. So my first reaction is, oh, you know, what are you talking about? You have to be. But I understand technology as a tool, not a replacement. And we have to bring that health equity lens, that focus, which is exactly what you just did to the, the technology space. Because what typically happens is when technology or innovation happens, those at the top of the socioeconomic ladder benefit from it. And, and it sometimes trickles down, sometimes it doesn't. And that can drive disparities. Now, I'll give you an example of bringing a health equity framework in the real world. So in our maternal health effort to, to reach rural women, we have a maternity app, um, Maven Clinic, which is, which is a wonderful app. Um, and they get it. They get the, the diversity issue. They bring a diverse workforce, more diverse than we have in the state of Arkansas. But when I look at who we're reaching, we're still not reaching into rural areas. So that lets me know I can use this tool, but what do I need to add? What is the mitigation so that we make sure that we're addressing health equity? Those are the questions um, that I'm asking all the time in all the different areas through data, through the silos. That's what I mean. And I, I agree with you totally. I think community health workers can be a, a, an important part of that. And the digital divide has to be addressed, has to be. Uh, we have areas in the state that do not have broadband access still, but air technology is, you know, moving on. Yeah. Yeah. Gigantic vital concern to bring up because I, I think a lot of uh, the emphasis on technology is simply on the tools themselves. But what you're talking about is that those tools need ambassadors. They need uh, support. They need something to to understand what meaningful adoption, meaningful engagement is, and uh, then some lever, uh, so, some some operational structure to, to get that out in the hands of the people that actually need it. Myself, I'm going to be downloading apps and having fun <laughs> and everything like that. But that doesn't apply to 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 everyone, especially like like people who who have much greater needs than I have. They're they're not out there looking for that latest te technology. So it, it's still like. Dr. Nash, you said old school, but that that is never going away. The need to have a guy like, like that's forever school. We're going to talk. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm old school also. I mean, I and I, I remember back when people felt uncomfortable saying anything like emotional in front of a computer. Like, well, how would I express my emotions in front of a computer? And now it's like, well, how do you express emotions in real life, not in front of a computer, right? Um, but so I think there's a generational thing that that happens. But rural areas do have this added burden of the lack of broadband access or the lack of consistent, um, you know, internet access. And so when you, you know, when you're working in, a, in an urban community, Poor people uh, can go down the street to a cafe across the street from Starbucks and get their Wi-Fi. There's no Starbucks of 50 miles. Where am I going to go? You know. So I think that there, that back to the intersectionality that um, that some of the bridges that we need to make to make it more user friendly for different communities, like I think it does vary based on on the location, you know, and what else is available in that location. 
we're coming up on uh, three minutes away from the end. And I'm, I'm really sad about that because- uh, Oh, that went by fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think this has been a great conversation. There's a question that we always ask uh, of, of every guest. And uh, Dr. Green, I'm going to put this question on you as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it to Dr. Nash first so you can think yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so th- th- this, this question, simple, simple, deceptively simple, but if you could change one thing about the way that healthcare is delivered in this country, what would it be? Now, I'll start with you, Dr. Nash. That's the $64 million question, right? A billion, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, I think when I think about that question and I think about health equity, what I want the healthcare arena to understand is that if I could change, I would I would want us to understand that we're all in this together, in that because we have inequities, because we have disparities, we're all worse off. And if we understand that, I think that's going to get us away from the us versus them mentality that we have that I think drives a lot of what we deal with. So what I would say is I wish the healthcare system knew that or understood that we're all in this together, that to help the least of us is to help everyone. We are. We we, we really are. And a lot of the us be them that, that happens is among people who share similar problems and, and, and similar backgrounds. So like you, you have people fighting over, over this and that, but they're, they're disparaged in various ways that they're not even acknowledging that us be them. Uh, Dr. Green. Okay. Well, I mean, if you're giving me the magic wand, um, I would say I would, I would make it that healthcare is actually um, incentivize as opposed to illness care, like flip the whole thing where the richest doctor is going to be the person who can keep people living to, to, you know, past, you know, a hundred years old. Like that's going to be the fancy doctor that's driving the Mercedes, right? That somehow the whole system will revolve around being, teaching you to take better care of yourself, having resources to take better care of you and recognizing who needs more of those resources, as opposed to waiting until people are sick to try to, you know, then, you know, try to fix things that are broken. Let's not, let's keep them from breaking in the first place. Amen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. The, the, this, uh, the, the financial structure, the financial underpinning, the, the incentive structure, we've asked this question of each guest. And I would say that's, co- that's come up more than half of the time is we need to change how, how like, like how these payments are made. We need to incentivize, uh, care for for the people that have need i i love your idea like that really personifies it uh carolyn about uh the doctor who can keep people consistently dry, uh, living above 100 that's the one that gets the mercedes yeah. so love that con- love that concept love that thought uh and again a big thank you for for i mean th- th- i think this has been an incredible session I, I don't know where this 46 minutes went for folks that want to reach out keep in touch after this conversation Dr. Nash, what, what's the best way people can, can find you? I am at crnash at arcbluecross.com. Good stuff. We'll flash that on the screen on the YouTube version. Uh, <laughs> Carolyn, what, what, what about you? cjgreen at uamass.edu. Fantastic. Well, we spoke about many health equity issues today, and each issue we brought up has enough depth, has enough study behind it that we could give it 
an entire set, 10 sessions, if you will. But if you want to continue looking deeper into how healthcare leaders are addressing equity and disparity issues, our conversation that we had with Clover Health's CEO, Andrew Toy, on structural racism in healthcare is a good follow-up to this one. But with that, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you again. If you enjoyed that conversation, you can find all our episodes and transcripts at wobothealth.com slash meeting of the minds. There you can subscribe, which will keep you in the loop on new episodes and our LinkedIn live sessions with healthcare leaders like the one you heard today.